Well, good morning, Fairhaven Church. Great to see all of you. For those of you that are regular, it's great to have you here. Thank you for being here. I want to welcome Springboro and Northmont and Beaver Creek Classics, all of you that are online and, are, and uh, around the country and around the world, actually, that are joining us. And I want to welcome all of you that are a guest with us here today. You've been welcomed in all of our campuses. I, do, I, too, want to welcome you. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, so great to have you here today. We are in a series where we're studying the life of Daniel, and we're learning as we approach Easter to evaluate our faith and to ask ourselves some really, really important questions because we are called by God to be light in the darkness. And so we're looking at Daniel, who's a great example for us um, in this idea that you and I can live out our lives for God to transform us and change us on the inside, but then to live our lives in such a way that the world around us is curious about our faith, about why you worship the God you worship and uh, why that's so significant and important into your life. And so I'm so grateful that you're here. Grab your Bibles if you would. We are in the book of Daniel, as I mentioned, and we'll be in Daniel chapter 3 today. We're going to be looking at probably the most familiar story maybe in all of the Bible. How many of you by raised hand in all of our environments, uh, even online, if you want to just raise your hand there with that little button, um, how many of you have heard about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, help me out, and what? Uh, Bendigo. Let me see your hands. Raise them up high. Okay, so many of you have heard the story. And the problem with hearing the story again is that you're like, I don't think you could show me or teach me anything new here. Uh, And that's not really the idea today. The idea is for us to take a look at the story and to understand exactly why Daniel tells the story. And we're going to get to that in just a little bit. If you're here today and you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, I would argue or submit to you that there are three traits that are paramount in your life. That these three traits that we see in Daniel as a teenager growing to be an 80-year-old man, finding himself in the lion's den at 80, actually. Many of us think he was there like a teenager. No, he had grown up, and it would be a long, long time as he was there in Babylon. Um, And these three traits are really, really important. These three traits are so significant that if you and I understand these three traits and live them out, then it will help us to understand who God is inside of our lives and to be light in the darkness so that as we approach Easter, we're prepared to think about our neighbors and co-workers and family members and, and so forth, that we can invite to hear the story of Jesus and what he did for all of us, so we can be free. Uh, what a great thing that is as we approach Easter. And so we're going to tackle one of them today, and we're going to do the other two next week and the week following. And so these are the three traits that are marked in Daniel's life. Daniel was marked by three traits that set him completely apart, and that's why we're studying this, because I hope it'll, it'll catch on with you and I. And Anybody want to know what these three traits are? Let me give them to you, and then we're going to study one today in particular, as I mentioned, and then the other two next week. Here they are, Daniel's three traits. Number one, hope. Hope is what launches courage. I want you to see today, uh, we talk a lot about hope around here at Fairhaven Church. If you're relatively new or a guest with us online or somewhere, um, I want you to see that there is a relationship, a connection, if you will, between courage and hope. That when you understand what biblical hope really is and how you place your hope um, in God himself and the way that looks in your life, uh, that's going to launch courage in your life. That if you have hope, you will be a courageous person. And courage in your life will come because you understand what hope is and the significance of it. And Daniel was a man of hope. He was a a young man of hope, and he grew to be an old man of hope. And so we're going to study that today. Secondly, uh, next week, we're going to talk about humility. Humility is an absolute characteristic of Daniel and should be one of ours because it gives credibility. 
It gives credibility to the world around us that you can be a follower of Jesus and yet have incredible credibility with people around you because of humility and the great trait. And when, what does that look like? And we're going to study that next week. I hope you're not going to miss it. Uh, come back as we look in the book of Daniel. And then the third one is uh, wisdom. Wisdom is not because you're smart. Wisdom is not because you have degrees. Wisdom is not because you have a high IQ. Wisdom is because it comes from God, which gives us perspective. And so those two are linked together, that if you want perspective, you're going to need God's wisdom. And if you have God's wisdom, it will give you perspective in life and all the things that you face and all the things that your family faces and all of those things. So today, what I want to do with you today is study hope. I want us to look in Daniel chapter 3 and look at this familiar story, and I want you to see that in this story, the reason Daniel writes this, I believe, is to help you and I to see that there are things that will kill your hope, or what I'm calling today, hope killers, four of them to be exact. And as we read the story, I, I think you'll see them just like I did as I studied it, because I hadn't seen this before, and as I was thinking through this and reading and studying, it just dawned on me that, wow, no wonder Daniel told the story, which he's not in it at all. In chapter three, you will not read anything about Daniel because he's telling about his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's absolutely amazing. A couple things, though, that we should start out when talking about hope. Let's just make sure we agree together that hope is not just wishful thinking. Can we agree with that, church? That it's not wishful thinking. It's not like, hey, I hope you have a, I hope you have a great day. Uh, it's not some wishful uh, idea or hoping that something would happen. It's not wishful thinking at all. So when we talk about hope, it's far more stable and far more real in our lives. Secondly, hope is not just a positive mental attitude. It's not like you just need to get stronger. It's not like you just need to get up and, and get going. It's not like, don't give up hope. You can do this. You know, it's, it's not that at all. It's much better than that, actually. And Daniel, as he lives out his life, and more specifically, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego actually help us to understand what that is. Now, as we start thinking about this, um, the question that we probably need to start with is this. And the question is this, how do we discover hope? Or in the context here at Fairhaven Church, we often say, how do we find hope? Uh, it's something that we talk a lot about here at Fairhaven Church. And church, this is amazing. It's not that hard. Um, in fact, let me give it to you as we look at Daniel's life in chapter 1 and chapter 2 real quick, and then we'll get to chapter 3. Um, so let me just show you real quickly how we find hope, but I want to get to the hope killers because that's really what we read in chapter 3. Four things that we can learn about how we can discover hope. The problem is, is that when you look back in life, hindsight is twenty twenty. Am I right? It's easy to look backwards and to have a little bit more perspective and to see things much better, which is exactly what Daniel is doing. You need to know, perhaps, that Daniel is not writing a diary. Um, he didn't write when he was a teenager, hey, we just left Jerusalem and Nebuchadnezzar besieged it and it wasn't very good and it wasn't a diary. Uh, Daniel was actually very old and looking back and writing all the things that he remembered. And the things that he remembered are found in chapter one and chapter two and on. And I want you to see uh, the ways that you and I can discover hope in our life are found in Daniel's life starting in chapter one and chapter two. So let me tell you, how do we discover hope? Number one, it's you start with what you know. 
Daniel, as a teenager, was living in Israel, um, and the people of God were not following God. I mean, they were far from God. Um, Daniel knew about God. He loved God. Obviously, we read that in in his story about Daniel, Um, but Daniel started with what he knew. Here's what I want to tell you. If you're here today in any one of our campuses, or online, somewhere in Dayton, or on the country, or on the world, and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, first of all, church, would would you agree with me? We're so honored that you're here. We're so glad that you're here thinking it through because I was there at one time and I sat back somewhere right back there in a room uh, that was a little smaller than this and way back there, uh, I came to making a decision in my life where I wanted to give my life to Jesus Christ. So if you're here today and you have not made that decision, I got good news for you. You probably know all you need to know to make that decision. You can do it today as a matter of fact. Uh, just right here while I'm talking, you can just invite God into your life. Thank him for, for forgiving you and dying for your sins. Uh, there's nothing you can do to earn that. I mean, he did it for you, um, and he offers it to you, and the only way you get it is you receive it. You take it and receive it in your life. So if you're not a follower, start with what you know. You know enough that you could probably make a decision. On the same token, the flip side of that, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, you may be following him for two weeks you know, two months, 20 years, um, you know all you need to know in order to exercise hope. Now, we want to learn more, obviously, because as we learn, our, our hope gets bigger and bigger and bigger, but you know. So uh, if you want to discover hope, it starts with what you know today. You can start right here, right now, whether you're a follower or not, it starts there. Secondly, um, it takes a step of obedience, which is exactly what Daniel did. Daniel knew the Mosaic law. We read that in Daniel chapter one, verse eight, where it says there that he uh, talked to the guard there and said, hey, listen, I don't wanna eat the king's food. Can you help me um, try it for 10 days and let's see what happens? And they did, and 10 days later, he looked better, he was healthier, um, he was smarter, you know, according to scripture there. It's absolutely amazing. Daniel took a step of obedience, and as he did that, hope was injected into his life. That's how we discover hope. And so this week, um, if you want to plan in your life, here's what you can do. You can leave here and do whatever you do in the course of a week and take the next right step of obedience in your life, and you'll discover hope. You'll discover courage in your life. That's how that happens. Thirdly, how do we discover hope? We keep trusting God regardless. I love chapter two. We're not going to read it, but if you want, you can flip there and look at it. I put all these uh, scriptures in your notes if you want. In chapter two, verse eight, um, it says there that the, that the king of the guards came, Arioch came to Daniel. Don't know if it was an apartment, a condo, a house, and said, you got to come with me. Um, you're going to die. Wow. Can you imagine that? Somebody shows up at your door and says, today, you got to come with me. You're going to die. That's exactly what happened to Daniel in chapter 2, verse 8. And yet Daniel uh, kept trusting God regardless. He said, wait, wait, let me go talk to the king for a minute. Let me see if I can convince him to give me a little bit more time to ask him if he'll give me the dream and the interpretation. You know the story. We looked at it last week. It's absolutely incredible. And yet he kept trusting God, even in a really, really difficult situation. And you know, we read these stories, it's so hard for us to put ourselves in the story because we see these stories and go, man, I don't think anybody would ever show up to my house and and tell me today is the day I'm going to die. I mean, who knows, right? It's incredible when you think about it. And so if you want to know how to discover hope, you keep trusting God regardless. That's the operative word there. Regardless, you may be going through something today and you're like, I, boy, I don't even know if I can trust God on this. Well, all of us would come around you, right church? 
And we would say, you know what? We're all going through different things. Um, Let's be people of hope. Let's be people of courage. Keep trusting him. Keep trusting God. If I could give you a side message to today's message, I would say keep trusting God uh, in whatever it is, your relationships, your finances, um, your, your work, your family, uh, your kids. Maybe you're wondering about your kids. Uh, you, maybe you've got some kids that are, are distant from you. Keep trusting God. Uh, it's so important. We say that in Daniel's life. And then here's the last one. You remember how it all ends. Now, Daniel didn't have the New Testament like you and I did, do. But Daniel has the Old Testament prophets. He knew Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel the prophet said, even though you're in captivity there in Babylon, there's going to be a day where God rescues you and he'll bring you back home and he'll take you out of that in slavery. And when we read in the New Testament, we see that Jesus said that. And the Holy Spirit told John um, in a revelation, in Revelation, he tells us that Jesus is coming back. And if you're a follower of Jesus, church, help me out here, you know how it all ends. And it's really good, right? And that helps us in remembering and discovering hope that no matter what happens in life, we got to remember that it all ends, that Jesus is coming back and he's going to straighten it all out. All justice will be taken care of. All the wrongs will be righted. And he's going to remove all the pain and the agony of our life. There will be no tears in heaven of any kind. That good news, church? That's amazing when you think about it. That's how we discover. See, I told you, it's not that hard. The problem is that when life hits you, it becomes hard. And so this is how we discover hope. We start with what you know, you take a step of obedience, you keep trusting God, and you remember how it all ends. You remember how it all ends. Now, we get to Daniel chapter three, um, a very familiar story. I wanna read parts of it to you, then I'm gonna tell you the rest of it. And then what I wanna do with you is I wanna take a look at the story because I believe that Daniel gave us this story to remind us of of the fact that in life, there are things that will kill your hope. But as we get into the story, I want you to do something as a favor to yourself and then to all of us here, and that's this. Would you try and block out the end of the story? Would you try to block out the fact that they were in the fiery furnace and they walked away from the fiery furnace? The problem with looking at the story is you already know what the end is. And when you know the end, it doesn't have as much impact into your life. And I think Daniel wants us to have this impact because the climax of the story is not that they walked away from the furnace. The climax of the story is actually found in verse 18. And I'll read that for you in just a second. Let's take a look. Daniel chapter 3. Your Bibles are open. Devices are powered up. Let's take a look and let's look at it. And let me read it for you here as we get into this. Again, reminding you, block out the end of the story. Here it is. Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. If you like to write in your Bible or if you're somebody who likes details, that's 90 feet by nine feet. So it's a statue that was 90 feet tall and nine feet wide, pretty big, like six stories high, huge statue. Now there's little doubt, am I right church? Little doubt that he builds this statue because of a dream he had in chapter two. And the dream was that there was this big statue and head of gold and bronze and silver and then the feet of clay. And this boulder comes in and destroys the statue and and Daniel told him it's because that means that your kingdom's gonna fall, another one's gonna rise, another one's gonna fall. 
And so no doubt, Nebuchadnezzar, who was this egomaniac, thought, well, they just didn't build the statue right. I'm going to build it right. I'm going to build it big. I'm going to build it strong so no boulder can knock this thing over. As a matter of fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to unite the entire world to worship this image. We don't know if it was an image of Nebuchadnezzar or an image of a god. We just know that he built this thing so that he tried to unite the entire world so that he would be the king of the world and that his kingdom would never fall. That's Nebuchadnezzar. So there's little doubt that he built this statue because of a dream that he had. So Nebuchadnezzar built this uh, statue. Its height was 60 cubits and its breadth was six cubits. And he set it upon the plain of Dura. It's a really important detail on a plain, which means everybody could see it. Nothing was blocking it. That's an important detail in scripture. In the province of Babylon, then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the counselors and the treasurers, and the justices, and the magistrates, and all the officials. Seems like he could have wasted a lot of time and just said all the officials, because that seems to me like to wrap it all in, right? <laughs> and yet Daniel puts all those details in there and then repeats it. I'll tell you why in a second. So he brings them all together, verse 3, then the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the counselors and the treasurers and the justices and the magistrates and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up and the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations. Notice that detail that Nebuchadnezzar is so cocky that he thinks... Not only the Babylonians, but the entire world is going to worship this. All the languages of the world, you know. I mean, he's going to be the king of the world. And so there it is. All peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, and the pipe, and the lyre, the trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, again, it seems like that phrase captures all the other instruments, but Daniel puts them down here because he wants us to know that King Nebuchadnezzar was so, so ego-driven that he grabbed instruments from all over the world to bring them together so that when they, when they made a noise and when they made music, everybody was to bow down. Don't miss the details in this. Verse six, and whoever does not fall down in worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn and the pipe and the lyre and the trigon and the harp, bagpipe and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans, that's Babylonians, came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound, and therefore every woman and every child, of the horn and the pipe and the lyre and the trigon and the harp and the bagpipe and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the gold image, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Now, if you're reading along with me, you're probably asking the question which I did as I was studying this, why does Daniel repeat it over and over and over again? And I think here's the reason, because he wants us as the readers to understand that Nebuchadnezzar was so cocky and so ego-driven in his life that he thought, 
as I mentioned, that the whole world would be involved in this. And Daniel was, in a sense, being sarcastic. That that's not possible. Nebuchadnezzar is not the king of the world. Jehovah God is the king of kings. Am I right, church? He's the king of kings. And so Daniel lists all these things because, in a sense, he's mocking or using satire or at least being sarcastic to the situation. Now, um, anybody know how the story ends? No, you don't. You're blocking it out, right? <laughs> so I want to read this story, and I want to talk about the story, and I want you to ignore the end because it's right here that we'll see the things that kill your hope. The things that will destroy your ability to have courage in your faith. But let me tell you the verse that really is important because it's the climax of the whole story. It's found in verse 18. I put it here right for you. And it says this, because Nebuchadnezzar brought in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and said, is it true that you didn't bow down to this? And then he says, if you don't bow down, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace and what God will save you then? And they said, well, our God will save us. And here's the best part of the entire story. Underline it, circle it in your Bibles, verse 18. But if not, if God chooses not to take us out of the fiery furnace, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Wow. What courage that took. Am I right, church? I mean, hope that they had in God, that God was in control, that God was sovereign, that even if they died that day in the fiery furnace, they knew that the end of the story was that God always rescues us at one day. They knew. I mean, it's incredible. But as you read the story and interact with the details, all of a sudden you begin to see the hope killers. I think it's important, though, for us to at least put a definition down of what biblical hope is really all about. Can I do that for you? And if you want, take a screenshot of this or write it down. It's in your notes if you want to download them from the app or the, or the website. This is really important for us to agree on this. The definition of biblical hope, and that's this. Biblical hope is the process. See, you don't have hope. You practice hope. Catch that. You don't have hope like some noun in your pocket. You practice hope because hope is what launches courage. It's the process of finding absolute confidence in God no matter the outcome. Church, I, I don't know if you catch this or not, but that's really hard to read. And that's really hard for us today to say, you know what, sign me up for that. Sign me up. Problem is we, we know the end of the story. But if you block out the end of the story... This is so true about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had absolute confidence in their God, no matter the outcome. So as we read this story, I want to give you the fact that here at Fairhaven, we talk a lot about finding hope. We want people to find hope. We want people to find absolute confidence in God, no matter the outcome. That, my friends, is real hope. Many times God rescues us but sometimes he doesn't. And why doesn't he? I don't know. I told you in the very first week that the story of Daniel not being eaten by lions and the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not getting burned up in the, in the furnace, it's an exception to the rule. 
Because some of you have cancer and you're wondering, I wonder if God's going to take this away. I don't know if he will. But here's what I know. He can be your God. You can have hope in the middle of it. You might be dealing with illness in your life. You might be dealing with a financial situation in your life. Here's what I can tell you, that if you're a follower of Jesus, you can have hope in Jesus, you can have hope in God, and you can have absolute confidence in God because you know the end of the story. But you can have confidence in God no matter the outcome. Is that right, church? That's what real hope is. As a matter of fact, that's the kind of hope that will attract the world to the faith that you and I talk about. And so we need to read this story and understand that there is at least in this story four hope killers. And I think as we begin to read the story and look at it, as I tell it, you'll see what I'm talking about. These hope killers are there, and I think that's why Daniel actually tells the story, even though we know the outcome. Block it out, here it is. Here's number one, the hope killer. This is what kills hope in our lives when we have anxiety over what might happen. When you become anxious about what might happen in your life, The operative word is might. You and I worry about things that haven't happened yet. We worry about things that we think are going to happen. And that worry, that's a a hope killer. That kills your hope in an instant. When you worry about the future, when you worry about what's going on in life, anxiety about the things that might happen in your life, that's a hope killer as sure as we're sitting here today, sure as you're online with us, wherever you're at. It's a hope killer. And we see that in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It says in verse 12, there are certain Jews that you've appointed over the affairs of the providence of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they pay no attention to you, O king. They don't serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. How many of you agree with me that there's no shortage of conspiracy theories today? There's no shortage of that. I mean, you can go onto the internet and you can read all kinds of things about how the world is ending and how this is a problem and how that's a problem. And it may be true. I don't know. The reality, though, is if you and I place our faith in God, the thing that will kill your hope is anxiety over that which might happen. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were there and they wanted to be men of faith. And so they looked at Nebuchadnezzar, this wicked, evil king, and said, look, I... Yeah, I mean, um, our God is able, but even if he doesn't rescue us, we're not going to compromise. We're not going to give in. We're going to live our lives in such a way that hope is the character trait of our life. I don't know about you, but that's inspiring. That's the kind of hope that I want in my life. And my guess is you too, otherwise you wouldn't be here today. As we think through this, it's absolutely incredible. See, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, there is never, never a good reason to panic. Am I right? The problem is we're human, and uh, naturally we, we panic, and that's why we need community. That's why we need worship. That's why we need to hear stories of each other, uh, to hear what God is doing in your life, because it, it's that that helps our hope to rise. And as hope rises, so does your courage because courage is launched through hope. So the first thing we we understand here is that a hope killer comes from anxiety of what might happen. Secondly, here's the second hope killer, being fixated on the present. When they're standing right in front of the king, you can read it there, when they're standing right in front of the king and the king says, is this true? I guess they could have lied, but they didn't because they didn't want to 
They didn't want to give in. And so you read the story there about how they were, they could have been so fixated in the moment because Nebuchadnezzar says, if you're not going to do this, I'll give you a second chance. If you're not going to bow down when the music plays, then you're going into the furnace. So he gives them almost a second chance. And in that moment, it's right in the moment that our hope can be killed. Have you noticed that? It's amazing how in the moment something takes place. And if we're not careful, it kills hope. In the present, when you're fixated on the things in the present in your life. You know, it doesn't matter if you're in the best season of your life. Do you realize that when you're in the best season of your life, hope can fade in your life because you don't need God. And when you find yourself in the worst season of life, hope can disappear because you wonder, where is God in all of this? And the truth of the matter is, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they teach us a lot about the fact that you can be in the moment and things look pretty bleak, and in the moment, you can be a person of courage and faith and hope because you have absolute confidence in God. Is that right, church? Absolute confidence in God. But one of the killers can be being fixated on the present. As they were standing right there looking this king right in the eye. The one that really held the keys to throwing them into the furnace. Number three, hope killer in the story is being dependent on the outcomes. So they come up to the king and the king says, if you don't bow, you're going to be thrown into the furnace. You know the story. And so then he heats up the furnace seven times because he's in a furious rage. Um, Let me translate that. That means he lost it. That's the translation. He lost it. And so he said to heat it up seven times. And so they tie them up. I don't know if you know this detail or not, because I hadn't seen this. And I've read this story many, many times in my life. Um, They tied them up. They tied them up in their coats. They tied them up in their underclothing. And they tied them up with their hats on. Did you you read that in there? They tied them up with their hats on. I mean, they just tied them up. And the guys that brought them to the furnace, they died because it was so hot. And they pushed them in and they fell into the furnace. And they were there. And as they were falling into the furnace, you can just imagine their minds. I wonder what's going to happen here. Do you know, church, that biblical hope, biblical hope can never depend on the outcomes? And it's so easy for us to fall into that trap where it goes something like this. If I do A, then it means B. Or if I act in faith and if I act in obedience, then certainly God's going to deliver me from furnaces and from lion's dens. Or let me say it another way. We live with spiritual quid pro quo. That if I do this in faith, then God must deliver me because that's his job, isn't it? I mean, that's how the contract reads. You do this and God does this. And all of a sudden, we base our hope on the outcome. Now, who doesn't want a good outcome? We all do. And I don't know how God chooses. I don't get that. I wish I did, but I don't get that at all, how God chooses that. But here's what I do know, because I've experienced it in my life, and chances are you have as well, that when faith is dependent on outcomes, and the outcome isn't very good, here's what happens. Spiritually, we become confused. Hope disappears. And here's the worst one. Ready for this? Here's the worst one. We begin to blame God. Anytime in your life and in mine, when we blame God, 
What happens there is it's an indicator that our hope is dependent on outcomes. And it's so easy to do. I've caught myself doing it. I'm sure you do as well. And that's why I love this story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because it reminds us that you and I can have hope and we can have courage and it goes way beyond the outcomes in life. And certainly we all want good outcomes, but at the end of the day, our faith is better than that. It's stronger than that. That we don't live dependent on the outcomes. You know, if you were to turn to the Old Testament um, beyond Daniel, you could look at a story about Job. You know the story of Job, right? I mean, Job was a righteous man. He followed God. He was, you know, in God's eyes, he was a very, very holy man. And yet Job was tested in his faith and his life. He lost his seven sons and three daughters. He lost all of his possessions. He lost everything, if you will. His wife even said, you ought to curse God and be over with this. And as the story goes on, and if you read the story of Job, you get to the sort of the very end of Job and his story, and I've heard it this way. The people said, well, at the very end of his life, Job, Job gets everything back. I mean, his wife gets pregnant, and they have three, uh, three daughters, and they have seven sons. And so it's like Job gets everything back. Really? I mean, think about it. If you have kids, 10 of them, that's a lot. <laughs> and you lose those 10, and you get 10 more, do those 10 ever replace the first 10? No. Job didn't get everything back. Job was a man who, no matter the outcome, he refused to not have hope in God. Wow. I don't even know how to describe that, except to say that's the kind of hope that I think we're talking about here when we look at Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's one more hope killer, and that's forgetting the link between challenges and growth. If I ask you to write on a sheet of paper, and maybe if you're in a small group, you might want to do this, get a sheet of paper and write two columns. The first column is write all the challenging things that you've experienced in your life. Just write them all down, all the things that you've experienced that are challenges that you had, difficult situations, circumstances. Just write it all down on one side of the column. And then on the other side of the column, write down all the things of, of how you've experienced growth, how God has shaped you and how you've seen God work in your life and how uh, you know, the situations in your life, have you, you've grown deeper, you've grown more like Jesus. What's really interesting is if you write those two categories down, you'll probably notice that all the challenging things in your life correlate to all the things of growth in your life. I wish it were a different way. It's not. But you and I, we like to look at life in categories, don't we? It's kind of like a bike. And all of you are like, why has that bike been up there the whole time, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Somebody put it up here. I don't know what they were doing. Um, it's, not, it's like a bike. I mean, we, we, we like to look at life in two categories. We like things to be either really, really good or we experience really, really tough things in life. But when I taught my boys how to ride a bike, and you probably did the same thing, you can't ride a bike unless both wheels are working in tandem. And I don't know if you know or not, but it's amazing how you can experience difficulty in life, and you can experience growth in life, and they happen together. They roll together. But see, you and I would prefer if life was just good, and we also struggle when things are bad. But that's not how you ride a bike. You ride a bike with both wheels 
both wheels turning at the same time. This is the image that I want us to get because one of the killers of our hope is when we lose track of the link between the challenges we have in life and growth. I wish it were another way. It isn't. And so that's why God needs your story and my story and your story and your story and your story and your story because all the stories put together give us the ability to have confidence in a God no matter the outcome. See, hope, hope for us is what launches courage because the both work in tandem together. So here's the question, two questions and then I'm finished. Question is this, do you have hope today? Don't leave here without it. Don't leave here without saying to yourself, God, I will have absolute confidence in you no matter the outcome. Those are hard words. No matter the outcome. That's the first question I'm hoping that you wrestle with today. Do you have hope? Here's the second question. Who do you know who needs hope? See, church, when we, when we come to Easter, we come to Easter and celebrate the greatest event that ever took place because our faith is hinged on the fact that Jesus died on a cross and he walked away from a tomb. And because of that fact, there are people all around us who are struggling and hopeless and in a place in their life where they have no hope. And it's our job. God wants to use me and you in the life of other people who do you know that needs hope? That's why here at Fairhaven, we talk a lot about reaching to. There's probably at least two people in your life, two people that are in your pathway every single day who you have conversations with who need the kind of hope that we're talking about today and a God who will love them no matter what, reminding us that the end is pretty good. The end is really, really good. Let's remember that today. Would you bow with me? And as we close in prayer, I'm just gonna invite you to Wrestle with those two questions. Do you have hope today? Maybe your hope is fading. Maybe it's completely disappeared. I don't know. Don't leave here today without it. You can simply articulate, God, I place my hope, my confidence in you today again. Lord, help us as we're here today looking at a very familiar story. We know the outcome. They did, in fact, walk away. It's incredible. And Lord, as we look at our own lives and situations and circumstances, relationships, our work, our finances, our future, our health, our kids, our single friends, our high school friends, our college buddies, Lord, help us that we would understand the significance of what hope does to us, the courage that it leads us to live a life that is so countercultural, so different than the people all around us. Use us, I pray, in their lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And the church said.